There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Judges. Judges chapter number 15. Judges chapter number 15. Good to have everyone out, some guests here today. Good to have y'all with us. You worship the Lord. Judges chapter number 15, we'll start reading in verse 14. We're going to continue our series we've been doing on when God interrupts, when, when uh, the but gods of the Bible. Seems like when we find that phrase, God is interrupting something. He's changing something, changing the direction, changing things. And so we want God to interrupt our lives And so here we find the next one in the book of Judges having to do with the life of Samson. Judges chapter number 15, look at verse 14. Let's stand out of respect and reverence to God's Word. Judges chapter 15, look at verse 14. And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, meaning Samson. We're talking about Samson here. And the cords that were upon his arms became as flax and uh, that, burned, that was burned with fire and his bands loosed from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, with a jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with a jawbone of an ass, I have slain a thousand men." And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called that place Ramoth-Leah. And he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. And now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? Look at where God interrupts. Verse 19. But God clave and hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water without, uh, there out. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Wherefore he called the place in, in Kahakor, which is in Lehi unto this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Go back to verse 19. But God clave and hollow place that was in the jaw. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to talk to you today about how God interrupts our desperation. How God interrupts our desperation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you forbeared our sin. That you, that you're in your long suffering, you look beyond our faults and our sin and the depravity of our person and saw that we needed a Savior, saw that we needed salvation, saw that we needed that which we could not work up within ourselves and you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross, gave us a gospel to preach from the ends of the earth that every man can be saved by. 
God, we thank you for that truth of the gospel. We thank you for the Christian life that you've given us in Christ Jesus. But God, we know that the reality of the Christian life is is that we have times of desperation, times of weariness, times of want, Father. And God, I pray you'd teach us from your word how we can survive those times, how that you can interrupt those times and meet the needs of our lives, Father. God, I pray you'd work in hearts. God, I pray you'd draw the sinner into repentance, bring the backslider into fellowship, encourage and strengthen your desperate saints. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. During the days of sailing ships and sailing vessels, I I read a story recently about a sailing vessel that, that was stranded off the coast of South America. Reason being was, was is that the, the winds died down and there wasn't anything to move the boat. There, was, there wasn't the slightest movement of wind and so they were stranded in this one spot off of the coast of South America. And it wasn't long before their resources of water had dried up and the men on the boat, the, the, the sailors on the boat were dying of thirst right there in that place off the coast of South America. Well, as, 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 as providence would have it, a boat happened to pass by at a distance to where a, a communication could be sent from one boat to the other. The ones on the vessel that were dying of thirst uh, signaled out that they needed water. Bring water. We're dying of thirst. We're stranded here. The message back was unusual. The message back from the boat at a distance said, Drop your buckets. Drop your buckets. They, what in the world are they talking about? And sure as the world, they took their buckets, dropped them off the side of the vessel, and brought the water up, and it was drinkable. <laughs> the water was fresh water. They had no idea that their boat was stranded off the coast of South America where the Amazon waters, uh, the, uh, the waters of the mighty Amazon, come into the ocean, and the water was drinkable as fresh water. They were in a situation where their their much-leaded thirst was quenched by an unlikely, unexpected place. Even more miraculous and unexpected is the source of Samson's reviving in our text today. God said he claimed, uh, the Word of God said he claimed a hollow place in the jawbone of the donkey and refresh Simpson by this water. You know, we too, like Simpson, come to moments of desperation, come to moments where in life where the fierce combat that we've been raging on the home front in our lives, in the world at large, against the world, the flesh, and the devil can weary our lives can bring us to a point of desperation and in need of life-giving waters that can only come from God. You see, I'm convinced that every child of God can find a wellspring of reviving water in their most desperate hour by gleaning out the instructions that we have in our text. There's three instructions. That's all I'm going to give you. One, two, three, and then you can go home. Three instructions that we can bring out of this text. The first instruction is this. 
If you're desperate, if you're in need for the living waters of Christ, those refreshing, reviving waters of Christ, the first thing you have to do is remain in the conflict of, uh, uh, of your desperation. Remain in the conflict of your desperation. Samson didn't find relief until after he won the battle. Until after he won the conflict. You see, this whole scene of desperation we find Samson in was, 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 it was, has its roots in a conflict, in a battle. A battle in which the enemies of God and His people had come against them to destroy them. Uh, you know, don't, I don't know if you've realized it or not, but we're in a battle. Like old uh, Tammy Huckabee used to sing when I was a kid at Straightway Baptist Church, she'd sing, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. If you've lived any of this Christian life for a short, brief amount of time, you know that the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the onslaughts of sin come against us day after day after day to try to uh, derail us from our Christian life and our Christian existence. And see, what we must do is remain in the conflict of your desperation. First of all, we see in this conflict the enemy of the conflict. Look at verse 14. And when he had come to Lehi, the Philistines shouted. Now let me tell you what had happened here. Let me bring you up to the point. You see, uh, Israel, uh, Israel had judges in those days. And Samson was a judge that had no misgivings about taking it to the enemy. Amen. I like a person that will take it to the enemy. And, and that's what Samson did. He tied up 300 foxes' tails and put embers of fire on their tails and set all those Philistines' fields on fire. You ask, well, how in the world is that possible, Brother Ronnie? How do you catch 300 foxes and tie their tails together? Well, if that bothers you, don't read any further. I mean, listen, you, you talk about this book, you're going to find some stranger things in this book than 300 foxes. You're going to find dead men getting up and walking around and talking. You're going to find apostles raising uh, folks from the dead and bringing folks to life. Don't read no further if them foxes bother you. But that's what happened. Uh, as Samson tied the foxes up, destroyed the fields of the Philistines. The Philistines were just a little bit upset about the whole thing. And so they come back after Samson. And so they, uh, all the Philistines with all their hordes come against the people of Israel. Israel didn't want no part of the Philistines. And so they said, hey, why are you coming against us? They said, we want Samson. And they said, well, let me get you for him, and then you can have him and leave us alone. And so the Israelites go up to Samson on this hill, and they say, Samson, the Philistines have come against us. We promise that we'll deliver you up to them. They'll leave us alone. And so will you, will you let us take you? And Samson said, well, if you'll not come against me, if you'll not harm me, you can bind me up and take me to them. And that's what brings us to this scene. Israelites bind up Samson and deliver him to the Philistines, and now we have a face-off between, uh, between Samson and the Philistines. But the Philistines uh, here are the enemies of God. They've come to attack. And the children of God are no match for the Philistines. And so they turn to Samson and he begins the conflict here. You see, the battle that waged between Samson and these Philistines is the battle of good and evil that we see today in our own lives. It's the battle uh, that we face day in and day out against the three that would desire to level us in this Christian life. There is an enemy. You remember that message? I brought several Sunday nights ago. Oh, some of you don't come back on Sunday night. But listen, I brought a message about, about uh, there is an enemy. Somebody's going to come against. 
somebody that's out dead set to destroy your life. And listen, that's the same is true with your life as well. Is that there is an enemy who would destroy you, malign you, uh, uh, destroy your testimony, and derail the kingdom of God if he could. You see, there's an enemy that's coming after us, and we need to stay in the conflict. Not only is there an enemy, but thank God there's the enablement of the conflict. Look at verse 14. And he came into Lehi, and the Philistines shouted against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords were, uh, were upon his arms, became as flax that was burned with fire, and his bands loose from off his hands. You see, there was enablement from the, for the conflict. We know that Samson is the superman of the Old Testament. Amen. He's a superman of the Old Testament. Nothing that Samson couldn't do. I mean, he could pick up walls and, and tie foxes together and destroy places. And ain't no tell what Samson could do. But, uh, but, but his power was not innate. His power didn't come from within. You see in the children's, I, I remember this children's bookstore. He used to read to Evan. Every time it, uh, it would uh, uh, talk about Samson, it, ta- it, 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 it had a picture of Samson, made him look like an SEC linebacker. I mean, he had muscles bulging all over his body. I don't think that was the way with Samson. If you'll carefully notice that when Samson begins to labor and expose this strength, the Bible's careful in the fact that it says the Spirit of God came upon him. You see, I, I think Samson looked more like a mild-mannered reporter than he did a Hulk Hogan. I, I think he, he was, looked like a pipsqueak until God came on him. You see, there was a special enablement that followed him. His strength came from the Spirit of God. Listen, your strength for the battle, your strength for the conflict with the world, the flesh, and the devil doesn't come from your own stick to It doesn't come from your own ability, your own character. It comes by the Spirit of God. Ephesians 3.16, that He would grant unto you, uh, grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Romans 8.11 says, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. There is the enablement uh, for the battle. The Spirit of God, our enablement for this battle is no different than Samson's. I may not be able to pick up the gates of your house and carry them five miles off, but the same Spirit of God works in our lives to enable us to meet the enemy on the battlefield of life. You see, we see not only the enemy of the conflict, the enablement of the conflict, but I want you to notice the instrument of the conflict. The instrument. Look at verse 15 and 16. It said it's Samson, and he found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. I want you to give careful attention to the instrument that Samson used for the conflict. The, the jawbone of a donkey. Here it said in verse 15, the new jawbone of a donkey. Doesn't mean the donkey grew a new jawbone. It meant that this donkey was freshly killed had been recently dead along the side of the road. And Samson goes out unto that dead carcass and pulls out the jawbone of the donkey and begins to fight this battle. Now you know, I believe you know, some of you know, that a donkey was considered an unclean animal 
in the law of God. You realize that if a, a male donkey was born, that when, when it, if, it, if you didn't sacrifice a lamb in its place, that when it was born, it hit the ground, you're supposed to take your foot, put it on its neck, and break that animal's neck? It was a condemned uh, de, uh, animal. It was a, a defiling animal. But also, we're talking about a dead carcass here. The law is very strict about dealing with dead stuff. <laughs> dealing with dead things. Needless to say, this was a defiled, a, 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 an ugly situation that we find Samson laying hold of here. Yet this unclean thing was used to defeat the enemy. Crushed them. I mean, Samson stacked them up like cordwood. A thousand of them. Heard a preacher say one time preaching on this text, he said the, uh, the, the funeral home industry skyrocketed. Amen. There was, a, there was a blip on the map for them. They are making money hand over fist. But, but we find that he stacked them up like cordwood with that defiled, unclean jawbone of a donkey. You know, the cross of Jesus Christ was used to defeat Satan at the, uh, on Golgotha's brow, but the cross is an, uh, of Jesus Christ is a place of cursing and it is a place of death. Deuteronomy 21, 23 said that he that is hanged is cursed of God. It also uh, tells us uh, that, uh, that, uh, that the place Golgotha means place of the skull, place of death. This is a picture of the cross of Calvary. This is a picture. And really, what are you fighting this battle with? What truth do you carry into the battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil? Jesus Christ died for me. The simple truth of the gospel. The cross of Jesus Christ. That's what he's fighting with. That's the instrument of this battle. It's the instrument of conflict. Galatians 6.14 says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Christ Jesus on that cross becomes my instrument to fight this battle. How do you withstand uh, the, the onslaught of Satan? Well, you get near the cross like we just sung about. Hey, you come near Calvary. You retreat to the cross of Jesus. You see, this is a picture of the cross of Christ. If you're in the battle today, it's the cross that's the answer. It's not the latest thing on the bookshelf. It's the cross of Jesus. The truth of the gospel is the answer to your conflict. We see remain in the conflict. You're never going to get the spiritual refreshment that you need by throwing up your hands in the middle of the conflict and walking off the battlefield. Stay on to the other side of the conflict. There's enablement for the conflict and there's an instrument for the conflict. Notice secondly, the second instruction is this. Render up the cry of your desperation. Render up the cry of your desperation. Look at verse uh, uh, look at verse uh, uh, 18. 18 says, And he was sore of thirst, and he called on the Lord. After such an amazing victory, we see the humanity, humanity of Samson exposed. 
We see the humanity. I, I, I don't care how spiritual you think you are, how spiritually mighty, how spirit-filled you are in the midst of this battle. Our bodies and our minds can grow weary of the conflict, can grow weary in the battle. Listen, I've often talked to my wife about this. We'll sit and talk about the spiritual life and the walk with the Lord. Not that we're super spiritual or whatever, but, but uh, we, were, we were sitting around talking. And I told her, I said, living the Spirit-filled life and living a life of power is exhausting. It is spiritually exhausting to constantly be on your guard. To constantly be in this conflict, in this battle. I'm not saying God won't give you power to win it. I'm not saying God won't give you the ability, give you the instrument, give you everything you need to fight this battle. On the other side of that battle, you can become weary. Just like anything, teaching a class. We're trying to start a children's church, trying to keep that going. And, uh, and my insistence upon that was that I don't want somebody there Every Sunday morning, week in and week out. Why? Because fatigue can set in. I've been there. I know. I know. There has to be a time of refreshment. There has to be a moment in which you pull out of the warfare because our bodies and our minds can grow weary and needy. And that's what we find here with Samson. He cried unto God. He was sore athirst. And he cried unto God. Notice the condition of his cry. He said uh, he was sore of thirst. In his weakness, he begins to relay his condition unto God. Notice he didn't crawl to mom and daddy. He didn't crawl to his wife or he didn't crawl to his best buddy, his bass fishing partner. No, he went directly to God with his need. His condition is that of being sore of thirst. That word sore of thirst means vehemently it means holy thirsty holy completely thirsty like how uh, uh, the old comedian Jerry Clower said his there, his mouth was as dry as cotton I mean he couldn't go any further he was wore out he was sore athirst I remember riding on the back of the garbage truck yes your preacher used to be a garbage man amen and when, uh, when I was back in from college, Dad got me a job working on the back of a garbage truck. And uh, it was in the middle of summer, hottest time. And I'm telling you, that, that job will wear you out. I mean, will slap. I fell off of it uh, one time. They had to come get me off the truck because I just slapped where I couldn't hang on to the back of it anymore. But I remember those times we'd be slinging that garbage and trying to finish the neighborhood and we got all these long line of places we got to go. We got to go. We was, we was getting after it all day long. And I'm telling you what, I'd get so thirsty. And when I'd get thirsty, I'd get weak. And I just, I couldn't think about anything other than quenching my thirst. I need something to drink. And I'd beg them, oh, stop this thing. Let me get a drink of water somewhere. And we had eventually stopped, and that water was so good. But listen, that was this man's condition. It was a, as we fight this battle and labor for the Lord, we can all get weary. We can all get tired. Some of you folks that labor around here, 
you make dishes and you work here and you drive the bus and you teach a class and you do this and do a media thing behind closed doors. Don't we all get weary sometimes in that labor? Even I, as the pastor, as the preacher, sometimes I get weary and tired in this battle. Tired in this. And I get sore of thirst for some refreshment from God that is so desperately. But that was his condition. That's the condition in the cry. But notice also, not only the condition, but the commending in the cry. A commending cry. Notice what he said in verse 18. He was sore of thirst. And then he said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. Notice the words, thou. Notice the words that you've given this. You've the one that give, thou hast given this. Samson knew right well where this great power, where this great victory had come from. He didn't come to God with a big pooched out lip and say, look at all I've been doing for you. Look at all I've been trying to do. Look at all the things that I've done in my hand. It's my responsibility. Look at all this. No, Samson is merely the instrument. Just as the jawbone was Samson's instrument, so was Samson in the hand of God. He was an instrument. That's what we are in this kingdom of God as the children of God. We are the instruments of righteousness. Not unrighteousness. What did Paul say in Romans? Yield ye your members as instruments of righteousness. You see, that's what he merely is reflecting here. He said, this is not of me. Listen, when we cry out in our need, let us commend God for His great work in us. Don't come to God saying, well, God, look at all I've been doing for you. Look at all I've been working on. I, I deserve a pat on the back, God. I, I deserve. No, we should come to God and praise and say, God, look at what you've done in my life. Glory to your name. Thank you for using me, but I'm thirsty. That's exactly what Samson did. He said, God, you've been wearing me out. I remember, I remember an old preacher saying he was with a, a bunch of young preacher boys. And they were all praying, God, use me, God, use me, God, use me. And the, the old, old preacher got up and said, you boys been, been saying, uh, 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 God, use me, God, use me. You ought to pray, God, make me use a bow. And then he'll wear you out. And that's the truth. <laughs> Listen, you get yourself in a place where God will use you. You step out there and say, I want to be used to God. He will slap wear you out. <laughs> you see, God will use you. This was a commending cry, but it was a critical cry. Look at what he said further on. Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. And now shall I die for thirst? Evidently, this situation that, uh, uh, that Samson's in, it's a life and death situation. Samson is at the point of death. The need in his life could not be more serious than it, uh, than it is at that very moment. It was a life and death situation. Would to God, every one of us have that same desperation in our Christian life. Oh, listen, we're so apathetic, we can't tell how thirsty we are. We can't tell how parched we are. Well, to God, we all had a heart that would cry out to God and say, God, I'm thirsting after you. I long for you, God. God, give me that thirst. Give me that drink that only comes from you. 
that will enable me to continue on and, and serve you. Oh God, if you do not meet this need, I'm going to die. Have you ever prayed that? Have you ever got along with God and said, God, if you do not do something in my life, I am going to die. This is killing me. This distance that we have between us. This, uh, this need and desire uh, for you that is not met in my life. God, I am so desperate that if you do not meet this need, I'm not going to make it another step. So half of us are so apathetic. We never pray that prayer. We never come to that point of ultimate crying out to God. Oh God, I'm going to die if you don't meet this need. But that's what Samson did. That's instruction. Render this kind of cry out to God. A conditional cry, a commanding cry, a critical cry, but then also look at a challenging cry. Look at the last part of that verse. Now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? Listen what uh, Samson's saying. He's saying, God, you have given me this great victory. You have brought me safe thus far. You brought me to this point. Look at all them enemies of God that are stacked up like cordwood. God, you have done miraculous things. Are you going to let me die here of thirst and be brought into their hands again? Have you brought me this far just to let me die of thirst? God, is that your intent? Is that your plan for my life? Is to come this far? Is to go this long and serve you this much and leave me here to die of thirst? God, I've been bringing glory to your name. We've been fighting the battle. You've been using me. God, have you brought me to this point where I'm simply just going to die of thirst? Just to sit here and die? Is this the end, Lord? Have you gifted me? Have you grown me uh, so far? Have you done this great work in my life just to leave me to sit here and to rot on a pew for the rest of my days? Have you called me? Have you gifted me? Have you saved me just to sit here and die of thirst? Listen, what God's been doing in your life is not to bring you to a point of dying of thirst. God didn't bring you out of the bar rooms uh, to die of thirst. God didn't save you out of the drug situation to let you die of thirst. God is molding and shaping. He is taking us somewhere. And matter of fact, Samson just raises out of a challenge to God. I don't think it's blasphemy. I wouldn't go around praying it where everybody could hear me. But I don't think it's blasphemy what he did. He said, God, have you brought me this far just to let me flounder? God, you've done this great work in my life. And you've been conforming me, molding me, shaping me, using me just to let me sit here and die of thirst. You see, it's a challenge. Or to call God on it. Or to say, God, have you brought me this far? Just to sit here and die of thirst on a pew. Just to sit here in Gethsemane Baptist Church and waste away. Or God, do you have further exploits? God, is there more judging that you need me to do? God, is there more places you're going to take me? Are there more enemies, more conflicts you're going to take me to? Or are you going to sit just simply let me die of thirst? Does anybody have an idea of what I'm talking about? God, have you brought me this far just to leave me hanging? You see, God hasn't done that. And we know that in the next instruction. Not only do we need to remain in the conflict of our, of our desperation and render up a cry in our desperation, but finally, we need to rely on the claving in your desperation. Rely on the claving. No, God hadn't brought him to this point to die. 
Then God hadn't brought him to this point of a cry of desperation uh, to die here, but no, God interrupts the scene. God shows up on the scene. God changes things. This man's on his way to death. This man is on his way to dying, and yet God interrupts. Verse 19, but God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw. You see, God didn't lead his people out of Egypt just to let them die in the wilderness, did he? God didn't lead them uh, through the Red Sea just to let them wander and meander in the wilderness to die. He's taking them to Canaan land. He's taking them beyond uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the Jordan River. He's taking them to a land of milk and honey. Time and time again, they said, Moses, have you brought us out here to die? Moses, have you brought us out here to kill us? No, God's taking them somewhere. You see, and that's exactly what God does here. He's taking him somewhere. I, I, you've often read Isaiah 40 and verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Two verses earlier, I love that. I, I just stumbled across it this week and, and looking up this text. God giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might. God increases strength. What did Paul say? At my weakest is when I'm at my strongest. Here's Miss Samson at his weakest. He thinks he's going to die, but God interrupts and gives the water, gives the sustenance that he so richly needs. You see, we need to rely on the claving in our desperation. Notice the source of the claving. The source of the claving. Notice in verse 19, I can't say it enough, but but God. The restoring drink that was received to, uh, to this dying servant of God was not at the hand of Samson. Samson didn't dig him a hole. Get one of those, you know, them little, little branches. One of those branches you're supposed to take and you do this and you try to, try to find water and, and it points down. Samson didn't dig himself a hole. The Philistines didn't cook up a, a batch of water to give to him so they could finish him off. Or, or the Israelites didn't bring it to him out of pity. No, God did it. God brought it to him. God himself claved the hollow place and gave him the water. In your times of physical and spiritual desperation, the miraculous help needed will come from God. It will come from him. Now it may come through some unusual means. This one come through a jawbone. That's an unexpected place to find a drink of water. That's an unexpected place to find something that you need. It may come from unexpected or odd places, but be assured it is from God. Like what an old preacher said one time, he said, that's not odd, that's God. <laughs> and that's the truth. A lot of times, help can come from the most unexpected places in our lives but that's not odd. That's just how God works. That's how He does things. He uses the, he uses the base things to confound the wise. First Corinthians chapter 1 tells us. You see, He does things out of the ordinary. But God, sure enough, God was the source. Not only the, the source of the clavin, but the spring of the clavin. It's unusual to say the least. It's almost, it almost, it's almost, like a teenager would say, it's enough to gross you out, man. Or I used to say when I was a teenager, it's just enough to gross you out. Look at what he said. He said in verse 19, God clave a hollow place in the jaw, in that donkey's jawbone. God clave the hollow place there. The water was coming out of the dead donkey's jawbone. The instrument that he had been using to fight now becomes his instrument of reviving and refreshing. Oh, listen, 
If you came for anything today, this is it. Listen to me very closely. If you leave with anything today, this is it. The instrument that you use in fighting the battle is the same instrument that you use for a refreshing drink. Amen. The same instrument. What we say that that instrument was in the Christian life, it is that cross, the cross where I face my sin and shame and yet where the love and the life of God abounds, where rivers of living waters emanate. That's where the living water is. The same thing I've been fighting the battle with is the same thing that'll give me the needed refreshment that I need. The cross of Calvary. Oh, how many times has my heart grown cold to the things of God? Grown cold to the way of God? Grown cold in my labors to God? All it takes is for me to walk back down to I-75 and sit in that dove gray Mustang driving outside of Barrett Parkway on I-75 and come to the place where I come to the end of myself and I cried unto God at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. All it takes to renew and warm that old heart, to give that freshing, refreshing drink of water, the cross of Jesus Christ. The spring of the craving, a claving, it came from the jawbone of the donkey, but also the submitting to the claving. The submitting to the claving. Now remember what I said. It come out of a jawbone of a donkey. Now, that's not the most sanitary thing in the world to drink out of. You children in here, don't drink out of no, uh, don't try to get no water out of no jawbones and donkeys. That's just nasty. And plus, plus, listen, plus, you know what he's been taking? He has whomped on the head a thousand. Whomped is a Greek word. You need to, you need to be proficient in that. But uh, uh, he took that jawbone of a donkey and he done whooped the heads of a thousand men. You can't tell me they didn't have some blood on it, some skull or something like that. I mean, just a nasty scene. And yet, and yet, and then all of a sudden, water starts coming out of that jawbone. Now he's thirsty. So now he's at a point of decision. Am I going to submit? To what God gives me to drink. Am I going to humble myself and take what God gives me? Yet, yet, yet he drank from it. He got his help from an unexpected place. I, I, like a, I like the story I read this week about a guy. He somehow is walking near a cliff and he fell off the cliff. And he grabbed a hold of a, a, of a rock. And he's facing like 100,000 feet below him. He's going to crash to his death. And he had no choice. He's by himself. And he cried up to heaven. He said, oh God. He said, please save me, help me. And God re- replied back and he said, he said, all you got to do is let go and I'll catch you. Just let go and I'll catch you. And the man hanging there said, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> That's not a way I want to go. Well, it may be true about the jawbone of the donkey. <laughs> You may not want to humble yourself and go back to remember what a slime ball you was before Jesus come into your life. Uh, what, a, what a defiled, uh, degraded sinner you were. It may be difficult to go back and go visit those waters and go back to that defiled place of Calvary and all the blood and all the gore and all the shame. Oh, but that's where the water comes from. We're going to have to humble ourselves and get back to where the water comes from. The place, an unexpected place. Don't turn up your nose to the help that God offers you. It is in the simplicity of the cross where we find oceans of reviving waters. Ain't no sense of you thirsting to death on your Christian ship when there's oceans of water, refreshing water, 
lifting up that Christian life that you can delve into and dip from the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, what's the summary of the claving? What ended up happening? Look at verse 19. And he revived. Oh, oh God. Oh, I want God to do that in my heart. Amen. I want God to give me those refreshing waters and revive my spirit. But he revived. Wherefore he called the name of the place in Hakkakor, which is uh, in Lehi unto this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. And he revived. God strengthened this man. God met his need right in the middle of his desperation. Verse 20, or, uh, verse 20 indicates that he judged Israel for the next 20 years after that. Needless to say, he went on to fight some more battles, didn't he? God just didn't bring him to die first right there on that, on that stack of a thousand Philistines. No, God had more plan. God didn't bring him there to die, but he, but he took him on. He took him on in his labors. You see, God didn't bring him all the way just to let him die. God had a plan, and God interrupted his desperation to bring him to a place of reviving. Oh, that's what we so desperately need in our lives. It's for God to meet us in the point of our need, our desperation. Many times I walk through life, it seems like I'm in a desert. When will I not stop and cry out to God to meet my need? Oh God, this great work that you began, have you just, just stopped with it right now? Have you just threw up your hands in frustration with me? God, have you brought me this far and let me die? Oh, I need God to interrupt my desperation. I don't know about you, but I need God to open up a, open up a stream of living water, open up a reviving, quenching a thirst, uh, a drink from God Almighty. And never forget one instance in my life when we were down uh, primarily in the jails and rescue missions and all those times uh, leading up to Gethsemane. Remember there was a time where I just grew weary. I just grew so tired. So tired of the jail, so tired of the missions. You preach until you're blue in the face and men sit there and roll their eyes and fall asleep and not much different than what we have today. But, but the fact of the matter is, is that I got weary in the way, weary in the work. I remember sitting in my desk at Tennessee Rand saying, God, I need your help. And God brought to mind a, a, a message that took the text of Matthew uh, chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me. Oh, you that labor in a heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Oh, and I tell you what, right there in the middle of that office, in an unexpected place, in an unexpected passage, I mean, uh, that passage, you preach that as far as uh, to, uh, to unbelievers and about them coming unto salvation. God in an unexpected passage, in an unexpected place, opened up a fresh drink of water. And I rested in Jesus that day. Oh, listen, and I've gone on that string for a long time. But we can come and rest in Him. We can come in our desperation, find the, the quenching waters that we so desperately need. You know, there's a great application here for the lost, for the gospel. Oh, listen, if you've been beaten down by sin and shame, there is an everlasting living waters emanating from the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, if you're in desperation today about your guilt and your shame, come to the jawbone of the cross, that place of defilement, that place of degradation, that place of cursing and blood and gore. And from that place comes a stream of life everlasting, comes blood and water that cleanses from sin and keeps us in His grip. 
Oh, what a place of salvation. Come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus today. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and find drink. Come to Jesus today. Maybe you're here today and you're desperate. You're desperate. You're fed up with this Christian existence if it means of dying of thirst. And you've come to a moment of desperation. Oh God, if you don't meet me this week. Oh God, if you don't meet me in this hour. If you don't revive my heart, I'm going to die. Have you ever come to that point in your life? Where it's God, if I don't have more of you, I'm going to die. God, bring us all to that point. Because it's at that point that God sends reviving. It's at that point that God meets our desperation with living waters. As they come with a song of invitation, let's all stand. Let's all stand. God interrupts our desperation. Are you desperate today? Has it been so long since you've had a good drink of reviving waters that it's come to the point where you're ready to say, God, if you do not meet my need, God, if you do not show up in my life, in my family, in my church, in my nation, I will die. Oh, let us all be brought to that point. Let us all be brought to that point of desperation. As, as they begin to play, let play. let's go to a, the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how clear it is. God, it may have come from an unexpected place, that jawbone of a donkey. Oh, but God, I, I know that you're able and you did the work and you'll do it again, Father. God, many times I've grown weary and, and I, I, even now, Father, trudging along this path, wondering, have you brought me just this far? Have you brought me to this place, God, just to let me die of thirst? Oh, God, intervene. Oh, God, interrupt our lives and bring life-giving waters. We pray for those that are here lost. They don't know Jesus Christ in saving faith. They're under the condemnation of the law. They've stolen, committed adulteries. They blaspheme. They're under the condemnation, the curse of God. Oh, God, I pray that they would receive the one that was made a curse for them, who died on that cross for them, Oh God, I pray they would come. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. What about you, Christian? What's your situation? Are you that desperate enough to call and cry on God? To relay that cry to Him saying, God, I can't go no further until you speak to me. I can't go no further until you pour that drink, that sustenance, that necessity into my life once again. Why don't you come down this altar and throw up a challenge? Throw up a challenge! God, if you brought me this far just to leave me here to die of thirst. God, if you brought me to this point in my life just to let me die and rot on the vine. Oh, throw up a challenge. I'm sure God, like He did in His Word, He'll interrupt the scene. He'll bring the needed reviving waters if we'll call on Him. What about you, sinner? Are you here today? Lost, come to Jesus today. Repent and believe the Gospel. Turn from life of sin and self. Put your trust in Christ and Him alone. You come to Jesus. What, what song are we singing? 326, softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling. You come today. Don't put it off. Come to Jesus. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. 
Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.